All right. Hey, morning. How you guys doing? Um, hey, I am Ben Tool. I'm the area director of Young Life in Mon Marion, Taylor County. I am not on staff here. Um, you know, they get paid to be good. I just say I'm good for nothing. Uh, I love that line. Um, but thanks for being here, um, here at the, the Fairmont location and um, on the screen there uh, in the Bridgeport location. Things do look larger on screen really than they, they are, it's what I think should, I should say. But hey, we're in this series, Psalms, Summer in Psalms, and really Psalms are kind of um, a collection of things uh, really meant to be sung. It would be familiar with folks back in the day. And uh, we're going to look at that this morning, and I cannot go off script. The first uh, writing of this message, it was an hour, and I texted that to Justin. He's like, dude, you got to cut that. I'm like, it's fine. So we'll be like, you know, 50 minutes or something. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, I've got a collection of letters here, uh, children's letters to God. It says this, dear God, is it true that my father won't get in heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? <laughs> Anita. Next one says, uh, dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Neil, this one says, dear God, I know all about where babies come from, I think, from inside mommies, and daddies put them there. <laughs> where are they before that? Do you have them in heaven? How do they get down here? Do you have to take care of them all first? Please answer all my questions. I always think of you. Yours truly, Susan. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy, Joyce. I love that one. Dear God, it rained for our whole vacation, and boy, is my father mad. He said some things about you that people are not supposed to say, but I hope you will not hurt him anyway. Your friend, but I am not going to tell you who I am. Love that one. Dear God, if we come back as something, please don't let me be Jennifer Horton because I hate her. <laughs> Denise, that's a good one. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. Peter, this one says, Dear God, I keep waiting for spring, but it never come yet. Please don't forget. Mark, this one. Dear God, if you watch in church on Sunday, I will show you my new shoes. Mikey D., Dear God, <clears throat> I do not think anybody could be a better God. Well, I just want you to know, but I am not just saying that because you are God, Charles. And the last one, dear God, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. That was pretty cool, Eugene. So I think these are cool things, but here's, the, here's the, why I read that is because I think we can see into the heart of these kids and what do they think about God? Who is God to them? What, what do you think about God? I mean, do you have misconceptions of, of what God is like? You know, are we going to come back? You know, how did God make that sunset? All these things. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, who, who is he? What's he like? Um, here's the, the, the big thing I'm going to tell, tell you this morning. What does God think about you? Right now where you sit. Um, and that's, that's kind of what we're going to attack. And uh, I want to look at this psalm in four sections, and we'll read it a section at a time, and I'll make some comments. Like I said, maybe I'll, I'll need to come back for, um, for uh, version two because I had to take a bunch out. So um, the first section of Psalm 139, uh, one to six, we're going to read this. It says this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. 
You hemmed me in behind and before, and you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me to, and too lofty for me to attain. So it, it starts out by saying, oh, Lord, you have searched me. And one thing I've said and one thing I've read about and one thing we talk about in young life as we lead, as we kind of reach out to kids is this. Every human being, regardless of where you are, what you believe, where you are with religion, God, or anything else, has two basic needs, to be known and to be loved. We know that. It's, it's just deep down, it's in our DNA, and one of the most important words to us in the English language is what? Your name. You may not think that, but when you hear something even resemble your name in a crowd, you kind of perk up, does somebody say my name? It's interesting. Tim Keller says this, <clears throat> to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Verse 2, 3, and 4, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. So having him as a partner in Pictionary would be fantastic. I can't draw anything, but I just look at him and he'd say, Eiffel Tower. Yes, you got it. I wouldn't even have to draw it. He just knows what I'm thinking. It's amazing. He knows already everything that's inside of your brain. God understands it. Before it's even my own thought, it's known by him. It's comprehended by God. He never misjudges or wrongly interprets what's going on in here. You ever been misunderstood by anybody? Not by God. He knows. Verse 5 says, you hem me in behind and before. And you laid your hand upon me. Hem me in. It's like a pair of pants when they're hemmed as to not unravel, right? He wants to take us into the fold of God. I mean, that's like intimacy, man. I mean, that's, he hems us in, bringing us in, pulling us together, it's what that means. Such knowledge, verse six says, is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Such knowledge not only surpasses my comprehension, but even my imagination. It's like when we try to understand things like, why did this happen? Why did this awful thing happen? And we just don't really know the answer. Or even things like, hey, why does, how did God make that sunset? I don't know. I mean, if I knew the answer to that, I would be God. There are just certain things we just can't comprehend about him. It's fascinating. Section two sort of talks about how God is everywhere. Verse seven, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So again, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? As it would be great to have him as a Pictionary partner, it'd be terrible to play hide and seek with God. I mean, he would count. 
Hey, he'd cover his eyes even. But then he would be done. He'd be like, Bill, that's a great spot. I mean, I remember when you hid there like last year. It was, that's a great spot. No one else will find you, but I know where you are. You're in the coat rack. Come on. It'd be terrible. He knows. He knows where you are. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my de- bed in the depths, you're there. You know, and we've all been somewhere in a place of darkness, right? A place of trouble, tragedy, maybe. I can remember myself in the spring of 1990. You know, I've been watching these, these, this world. See, I'm off script. This is bad, Justin. I'm, I, I've been watching the Little League World Series. It's awesome, you know? And these kids come up, and they introduce themselves, and, and they all, they're all talking about their dads. I mean, that was me back then. I mean, my dad was everything. And in the spring of 1990, he took his own life. He was there, and he was gone. I mean, I was in the darkest place I've ever been in my life. I was alone and desperate. I was absolutely at a loss for what to think. I was insecure, helpless, and so I blamed God. I didn't know what else to do. And I was rebelling against the one that was actually right there with me on that day, trying to get in, trying to say to me, I I love you. I I love you so much. I get it. I'm brokenhearted for you. And man, I just pushed him away. I didn't, I wasn't understanding it. He desperately wanted me to know he was right there. He was right there the whole time, trying to get in. And he never quit pursuing me, and he never has. He's doing the same thing with you right now. He's pursuing the heck out of you. Maybe he's trying to get your attention right now. Tapping you on the shoulder going, hey, I love you. I mean, that's really the message today. I, we could be done. I, that's, that's my message the God of the universe is passionately in love with you. And I don't just think we understand that. And I remember feeling this dark place one time about five years ago, and I, I was just at a loss, and I felt those same things, lonely, and I was sitting right in here. You guys took my seats, by the way. Thanks a lot. And, I, and, um, and all of a sudden, they're singing this song called ne- Never, Never Once, and it says, Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful. And I remember my wife and I holding hands going, man, that's true. He never left. In that darkest place, he was there. He never leaves. God, the the one great existence in all places. Verse 9, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. He leads us with his hand And that's what he wants to do. That's what we're actually designed to be with him as he guides us, the one who made us, the one who created us. He's going, I I want in, I want to let you, I want to guide you to where I made you to go. That's sort of where we're going with this whole thing. God wants in. He wants to let you know, hey, this is why I made you. This is why your hair is like that. This is why, you know, he wants to let you know all this stuff. He knows. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. This is so because we see Jesus in John chapter one and it says this, in him was life. And that life was the light of mankind, or that light was the, was the light of every man. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. That's what it says in John 1. 
Meaning what? The darkness has not overpowered it. The darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not put it out. The darkness is as light because there's no darkness in this light. He is the light. And what does light do? It exposes, right? You light a light in a room and it exposes things and it scares the heck out of us. The light exposes, but no, here's the thing. It's going to expose stuff deep down in you that he already knows. He already knows it. There might be stuff down there that we don't even know. And maybe that's the one thing that's holding you back. Justin talked about having this relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's it. We miss out on what we're really made to be because we refuse that light. Are you refusing that light? Section three, the, the, the cool, I use this stuff so much. This is where I had to cut. Like I could do a, an hour and a half just on these verses. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I mean, this is Jesus God, the owner of my inmost parts and passions. Not just the indweller and observer only, but literally the acknowledged Lord and possessor of your most secret self. He made it. I mean, that is intimacy. In my most secret state of all, unborn, in my mother's womb, he's there. And his hand is on us. It's crazy. 14, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. A response. David has a response here. I praise you. My soul knows that very well. I know that deep down my soul knows that this is the one thing missing. You know, we try to fill this, this something that's missing with all kinds of stuff, good stuff, bad stuff. And we see all kinds of people that run into Jesus that do this. We see this, this bleeding woman. She's internally bleeding in Mark 5. And she is just absolutely at a loss. She said she spent all she had and went to the care of many doctors. Guys, we go to tons of doctors to fill this thing that we're just not figuring out. And she sees Jesus in a crowd. She said, if I just touch him, I'll be healed. I mean, that's crazy. And she does it and is healed. Jesus reaches out there and says, hey, hey, dude, who did that? This woman stands up and she says, daughter, he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go. All the doctors in the world, all the money she spent, and she spent a second with Jesus and he fills it. That's the nature because he's the one that put her together in the first place. He is the one that put you together in the first place. He knows. I looked this up. The most complex information processing system in existence is the human body. If we take all human information processes together, i.e. the conscious ones and unconscious ones, this involves the processing of 10 to the 24 bits daily. 
That's 24 zeros. That's a lot. This astronomically high figure is higher by a factor of one million times greater than the total human knowledge of 10 to the 18 bits stored in all the world's libraries. I don't really know what all that means, but that's a lot. I mean, you are wonderfully made. Do you know that? I mean, that God like sat down and like put you together. I just want you to know that. That's truth. 15, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Charles Spurgeon writes this, the substantial part of my being was before thine all-seeing eye. The bones which make my frame were put together by thine hand. The essential materials of my being before they were arranged were all within the range of thine eye. I was hidden from all human knowledge, but not from thee. Thou hast ever been intimately acquainted with me when I was made in the secret. A great artist will often labor alone in his studio and not suffer his work to be seen until it is finished. Even so did the Lord fashion us where no eye beheld us. And the veil was not lifted till every member was complete and boom, we come out. It says, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, embroidered with great skill is what that means. You were put together like that. What tapestry can equal the human fabric? Nothing compares. Author Brennan Manning writes, you are a response to the vast delight of God. Out of an infinite number of possibilities, God invested you and me into existence. Do you think that about you? In light of the truth, I have to ask myself, have I really appreciated the wondrous gift that I am? This is also what author Burning Manning says. Or do I measure my words by the texture of my hair, structure of my face, or the size of my waistline? Could the Father's gift to himself be anything but beautiful? We're about to start up a new ministry in Young Life called Young Life Capernaum. It's, it's Young Life for Kids with Disabilities. I ran a few camps over the summers with these kids. It's awesome stuff, you know. And I was talking to this girl. She, could, she had severe disabilities. And at the end of camp, we did this cardboard testimony thing where on one side they would write, hey, here's what I think of God, and then here's what I think now after really diving in and understanding who God really is. And she came out on stage. I was sitting right there front and center, and that cardboard said, God made a mistake. And she flipped that sucker over, and it said, I'm beautiful. And she just smiled from ear to ear. That is someone who understands I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you? Do you understand that that is you? 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Right, account them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Imagine the great and mighty God thinks of you all the time. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God seriously thinks of you that much? It's what it says. Last section, 19, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. This is where it gets crazy. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. 
Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And abhor those who rise up against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, David here is saying, man, you love me so much, God. And so I love you. So how can I not hate those who hate you? It's just simple math, right? I mean, that's that's where David's going. It's like the closer and closer we get with God, the more we hate sin and evil. We love the sinner, but we hate the sin. That's kind of what he's saying. David's words here are real strong, right? I hate with complete hatred. I mean, that's a lot. What if we were so close to God that we literally hated sin and evil? And that's been a challenge to me as I've thought of this. I remember last summer, I played this bad guy character at Young Life Camp. It was ridiculous. I was dressed as a bear with a Canadian Mountie suit on. It was stupid. I came out there, I'm like, hey, you guys suck. I would say all this bad stuff. And I, I just make people want to hate me, right? So it was real easy when people from Ohio were there. Because I just rode that train all day long. I'd be like, hey, who is worse? People from, and I'd pause, I'd be like, never mind, it's people from Ohio. And these kids wanted to kill me. I mean, literally. You know, and so we finally got to the point where, like, the, the heads of the camp were like, hey, listen, you got to tone it down. I mean, you can't say you suck, and you can't say you're stupid. It's, it's like, I remember, right, I know. So, and so I tamed it down. I was fine the rest of the month. I did not say those things until this happened. I'm like, hey, I'm being a bad guy. And this kid stands up in the middle of the dining hall and he looks at me, points at me, goes, you suck, really loud. And he was wearing a Virginia Tech shirt. I lost my mind. I I literally lost my mind. Like the people on stage were trying to like say, hey, cut his mic. Like I'm like yelling at this kid, you know, and I I forgot where I was. I'm like, hey, this is Young Life Camp. We're supposed to love kids. I'm like, you suck, man. Your team sucks. I mean, I was like, why is that? Because I, I, am, I like bleed blue and gold, man. I mean, I was like born to love the mountaineers in this state. I sell that Virginia Tech shirt, and I'm like, I hate that guy. I mean, <laughs> here's the sad part. Do I hate Ohio State fans and Virginia Tech fans more than I hate sin and evil? I don't want to answer that. That's not even meant to be funny. That's meant to be like, I, I, that went wrong. I, I, maybe we should give him, okay, search me, oh God. Uh, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's the deal. David is saying, hey man, I get it. I'm not immune to this either. I'm a human just like everyone else. Search me, God. Is there anything in me that's offensive? Shine the light deep down. Because you already know it anyway. And expose it. Is there something holding me back from knowing who I truly am? That's what David's saying. And we even see later in David's own downfall as an adulterer and a murderer. I mean, how's that fit in with all this? So don't go leaving here thinking you're too bad for this. I mean, here's a guy that wrote this, and then he committed adultery and then murdered a dude. 
But that's exactly the point. This was true when David wrote it and remains true now today and even no matter what where he was. And I think that somewhere in his thought, he thought, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go into the depths, you are there. I'm in the depths of my sin and I realize God loves me no matter what. No matter what. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can't do to make God love you any less than he already does right now. It's the absurdity of his love. I mean, this becomes real to David at a point in his life. I mean, this is the part of the psalm that is personalized. This is how he's writing this psalm, and that's what's been hard for me. Because I can look at you and say, listen, you know, God loves you. What are you doing? He loves you so much. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. But I can't point the finger back at me and say, me too. Hey, hey Ben, God loves you. That's what David was doing here in this psalm. It's not just about the love of God. It's a personal love of God for me and you no matter what. So what happened one evening, I'm driving on the east end of Charleston. I was doing Young Life down there and this song comes on. It's called Always. I have have the lyrics here. It says this. Did you rise the sun for me? Paint a million stars that I might know your majesty. Is everything I've known marked with my maker's fingerprints and it's playing. I had to pull over because I lost my mind because I said, yes, he did. He rose the sun for me. If I were the only one, he would do it again tomorrow. He paints a million stars so that you look up and go, oh man, God loves me. Do you think that about you? Because it's true. I was just floored by that. It's what Brendan Manning wrote in his book, The Signature of Jesus. He says this, the longer I look, the more I realize that no man has ever loved me and no one ever could love me as he did. I went out of the cave that night, stood on the precipice and shouted in the darkness, Jesus, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind to love me so much? And the answer is yes. He's out of his mind. He loves you that much. And it's why somebody could write a song called The Reckless Love of God. And there's controversy around that. And I just, I want to say this. It's nuts because God's love is reckless. It's truly reckless. People have some issues with that. Like, how can God be reckless? I'm telling you, it is. I mean, here's a man betrayed by his friends. A man stripped, beaten, stripped again, beaten, hung on a cross, A man spit on and nailed to the cross by the very ones he knit together in his mother's womb. A man that signed up for that. A man that says, you know, he he told a parable like if one were lost in the sheep pen of of 100 and I'd leave the 99, that's reckless. I'd just leave the 99 and go for the one because I care so desperately about it. That is a reckless love. It's a reckless abandon. He cares nothing about himself. And Philippians says that he take the whole, the whole nature of God and said, no, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. That is a reckless love. I just want you to know that. The song says this, and I've said it before, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, it chases me down. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give your life away. 
Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. So I got to tell you this. If someone were to ask you from now on, I've heard this, hey, what's the one thing in life that's for certain? And you, you usually say death and taxes. What you should say is the love of Jesus. It is certain. It is truth and certain. That's the message that he wants us as humans to get. I love you so much, it's stupid. So I'd say this, a love, this isn't a feeling. I don't, it doesn't matter. You can write whatever you want. A love like this demands a response. It's like I went up to my, when I asked Laura to marry me, I, I called her roommate. I'm like, hey, leave the door open in her dorm room. And I went up there at like 2 a.m. So granted, she was totally comatose. So I go up there and I tap her on the shoulder. She freaks out. I'm like, Laura, she's like, what, what's happening? I'm like, Laura, I love you so much. And she was like, okay. And I'm like, I, and I had a ring and I, I showed her the ring. I'm like, I, I want to marry you. I want to spend the rest of my life for you. And she went. That's what she did. And I'm like, man, this is going south. I thought this was going to work. And then she hugs me and I'm like, what does that mean? I literally said, what does that mean? Like, are you saying yes? And she's like, yes, yes. The point being is a love like this, guys, demands a response on our end. The absurdity of this love. So here's the question, what say you? See, the bleeding woman I talked about earlier had gone to the care of many doctors. She reached out and thought, man, I just don't know what else to do. I'm gonna reach out for Jesus. And boom, she was healed. Why? Why did that work? How did that work? It's because we have this voidness that only God can fill because he created you, he knit you together, and he knows exactly the intricacy that you've been made with. He wants to fill that void. What would it be like to be in a relationship with somebody that I just talked about? Dang. It all makes sense. God created you. He knows you intimately. So that makes sense to go, okay, if he created you, he created you for a reason. What is that reason? What is that purpose? Here's the great part. Here's the response. You turn and say, how do, how do you respond to this? A God that loves you like this. Maybe your response is, hey, I, I love you too. Maybe your response is, I, I want in on this. I mean, if you created me, there's got to be a reason. What is it? Maybe your response is just thank you. I don't know what it is. But again, I could have just shared this whole thing in one sentence, but that's no fun. The one sentence being, by the way, the God of the universe knit you together and loves you beyond your comprehension no matter where you are, no matter what. So my challenge is that you would respond to God in your own way, because he knows, he knows how you're thinking. I have one verse that I want to end with that I found recently. 
And I think this matches up. And this is how I'll end. It says this in Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Whoa. Maybe that's your response. God, I didn't know you loved me that much. I, I love you too. Would you let me in on this? Would you let me in on this? I go all the way back to the beginning. Do we have a misconception of who God really is? David paints a great picture in Psalm 139. Read that tonight. Before you go to bed, just read it. I dare you. I dare you to read that. And I dare you to personalize it. And maybe your response is, I called you, you said you'll answer me, I'm calling to you. Would you show me stuff about me that I don't know? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that you love us so much. Your love is absurd. It is reckless. You put yourself in harm's way even of death for me. What a love that you would want to be in relationship with us, with me. Thank you so much. In your name, amen.